Now I teach there are seven distinct plans a real estate investor needs to put together to go the distance being a buy and hold real estate investor. They include an acquisitions plan, what to buy, how to buy, where to buy, a rental growth plan, how to maximize your cash flow, how to uh, get your best tax deductions going inside of the real estate market. I also teach debt minimization, and of course, all the way through the seven plans, which I won't go into them all today, but through to a wealth acceleration plan whereby you do more sophisticated levels of uh, work in the real estate market. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, we're digging into the idea that we need an offensive piece of real estate that can also defend us in tougher times. What does that look like? We're going to dig into it. We're going to have the conversation around both what momentum is in the real estate market versus also what grows in the real estate market. Both can lead to capital growth. One is offensive and the other is defensive. So we're going to dig into it. It's part of my Forex growth plan. It's an awesome section. I think it makes a lot of sense. We're going to have a good chat about it today. Welcome back, you urban property investors. I hope you've had a wonderful week. And of course, if it's your first time tuning into the show, uh, thank you for choosing this show to learn about real estate. A big part of my journey is simply sharing information on the real estate market, which I've learned over basically a 30-year career exploring, understanding real estate, doing different strategies. And of course, uh, today I teach a lot about real estate. So if you like the idea of learning about real estate, you've come to the right podcast. And of course, feel free to go back but the golden rule of this podcast is to play the show in double speed. Get your life back. All right, let's kick off. Now we've caught up. I hope everything is good in your world. We're going to dig into the idea that real estate is a bit of a journey. Now I teach there are seven distinct plans a real estate investor needs to put together to go the distance being a buy and hold real estate investor. They include an acquisitions plan, what to buy, how to buy, where to buy, a rental growth plan, how to maximize your cash flow, how to uh, get your best tax deductions going inside of the real estate market. I also teach debt minimization and of course all the way through the seven plans, which I won't go into them all today, but through to a wealth acceleration plan whereby you do more sophisticated levels of uh, work in the real estate market to speed up your wealth accumulation and your wealth creation. Of course, three phases to investment. You know the rules. Uh, you've got acquisitions, consolidation, and lifestyle. Acquisitions is just the idea about going out and buying some real estate to then hold and, of course, work out to pay off that debt and then obviously go on to live off the income from that real estate. 
the buy and hold plan of real estate. Now, today I'm going to dig into a subsection of my Forex growth plan whereby we look at two distinctly different categories of how to make money in real estate using the market. One is a momentum section of the market and the other is a true level of growth which happens by virtue of pie economics. So we're going to both look at them from how they protect us as a real estate investor, but also how it can lead us into the wrong real estate marketplace. Now, I've talked about this before. A lot of property investors, if you like, uh, get out there quite enthusiastic when they begin to buy. And when they start buying, really, they will follow trends. And the way algorithms work these days you're generally served what you want to see. And of course, if you're looking at the wrong clickbait to begin with, then all of a sudden you start to get information overload and a lot of what you're seeing starts to feel like it's real and it's the right decision for you to proceed with. And for a lot of us, we don't understand that inside of wealth building philosophy there is both epistemology and agnotology now they are two distinct pieces of philosophical ways to look at the real estate marketplace as epistemology if you like is just the proven theory and evidence-based theory of something agnotology is really the study of deliberate or culturally induced ignorance. And what happens inside of the real estate market is we are clickbaited constantly and sent really ignorance that we need to work our way through. Now, today I'm going to talk to you about some drivers of the real estate market, and there are six of them. Population, infrastructure, economics, jobs, basically, supply and demand, demographics, and rental returns, yields. And they all do drive the real estate marketplace. But today, I'm going to break them into two distinct groups. One is where we can go on the offense when it comes to real estate. And the other one is our defensive real estate decision. The defense is pie, population, infrastructure, and jobs, economics. The uh, offense, if you like, is supply and demand, demographics, and rents, yields. Now, what happens for a lot of property investors is they get caught up with the latter, the offensive bit to the puzzle without making sure they build a defensive strategy. So it's very, very common for a lot of property investors to get caught up and end up buying a piece of real estate in a real degrade area because of a trend, momentum. The trends in the marketplace that create capital growth and really create a fad to go and do something in a very dangerous place 
are often led by shortages of real estate, which push prices up. They are led by rents and they are also led by demographics. Now, I'll explain a little bit further as we travel through today's discussion. But seemingly, those three categories, if they're not backed up by a strong population base, infrastructure spends in the billions, and of course, jobs which are there in various different industries, lure people into investments in Australia where the marketplaces carry very little backbone. And quite often it's done through the concept of agnotology, the idea of you being clickbaited or induced into a silly decision. And of course, when it comes to the idea of evidence-based investing, the theory of knowledge, We know that if you buy where there's more people going, more jobs being created and where government is putting a stake in the ground when it comes to infrastructure, you're going to have a very long experience owning real estate and a very protected experience. It's a real evidence-based model that has worked time and time again. And of course, uh, when it comes to uh, the idea of people using agnotology to go and buy real estate, which is the idea of listening to induced ignorance that is done deliberately, all of a sudden you'll see when you're scouting around looking for deals, hotspots that are out there, the three most amazing hotspots which are going to make you millions of dollars from real estate, all of a sudden you will follow a trend which is inducement to do something. And obviously uh, the idea of being involved in a subpar piece of real estate can send your wealth creation journey off in a strange direction. And it certainly has happened to me. I've bought real estate in the past in sleepy little villages because I was following a trend of where are the the highest rents versus the lowest house price. I followed a trend of rents. What I did wrong was leave a marketplace where the population wasn't growing, where jobs weren't abundant and, of course, where there was no infrastructure spend. So it's a big, big difference when it comes to how you play this game called real estate. Now, we are served baloney constantly, both uh, agnotology and, of course, we are served epistemology, the idea that uh, knowledge is proven and real and real evidence And really, the journey of property investing is a battle between both epistemology and agnotology because it requires making decisions based on, quite often, uncertain information and navigating potential biases and misinformation that exist in the marketplace. And so the 
more you follow the rules of investing and stop leaving investment fundamentals, the longer you're going to be able to hold real estate and end up being successful from the original purchase that you went through. Now think about it. Buying real estate is quite easy, but then you've got to deal with things like policy and decisions that happen around you, interest rates, you've got to uh, deal with debt, you've got to deal with uh, household income and what you're earning, vacancy rates, you've got to deal with media clickbait, you've got to deal with all sorts of events, black swan events, green swan events, uh, you've got it to deal with just about so much from a problem point of view once you own the real estate that people often start to regret what they bought because when the tide goes out, you kind of can get caught with your pants down if you didn't follow one of the most fundamental rules of property investment, which is to follow pie economics. Where is the population? Is the infrastructure coming? Is there a lot of infrastructure in that area? Is the infrastructure efficient? And of course, are there jobs? Now, again, like the idea that we get bamboozled constantly from the media, from information, not only happens from the real estate market, it can happen from government. Now, a couple of weeks back there, I woke up one morning and saw on the news in three years, we're going to war with China. You know, bananas. I literally nearly spat my coffee out of my mouth watching that piece of news, which was relayed by massive, massive media organizations into my brain. I'm like, why am I going to war with China? Uh, and of course, this was a classic piece of government agnotology, culturally induced information. Because two weeks later, the government signed the AUKUS deal to basically buy seven submarines, nuclear-powered submarines, at a cost of $300 billion over a period of time. So did the government create misinformation or a problem that doesn't exist to justify spending money on submarines? Agnotology versus epistemology. Now, there's probably definitely no doubt some logic as to why you would spend that money on some submarines uh today's not to break down whether the policy was good nor bad the today's conversation is we were given information misinformation that we're going to war with china in three years uh and of course we were fed that information to culturally induce us into uh, feeling like, wow, we should do something about that. Of course, two weeks later, government comes along, we've done something about that, we've bought the submarines. So this stuff happens all the time with investment. The idea that, for example, inflation is caused by government. Inflation is caused by governments basically printing money. 
Often governments won't tell you that that's the cause of inflation. They'll say there's a shortage of eggs. That's causing inflation. As we know, it's a game of is there some truth to that or is it actually agnotology? Now, agnotology is something that property investors just need to be very, very, very wary about because it does cheat a lot of people out of investment. They read this stuff and get way too excited that it carries more meaning than it actually does. For the most part, the media is clickbaiting just about everyone. By way of example, you know, we hear about the great property bubble here in Australia when it comes to real estate investment. And obviously, if we look at a real bubble that occurred inside of global housing, it occurred during the GFC when around 15% of loans defaulted. Obviously, we're nowhere near that in present times whatsoever. I think the current rate of people unable to keep up with their mortgage is less than 1% of all mortgages. So again, you'll get fed uh, bubble trouble from the media, clickbait, agnotology. Of course, when you look at epistemology, the real information, actually compare it to, for example, a real bubble, we're nowhere near that. And of course, the media plays the biggest part in all this, which is creates biases. It also creates paid clicks. It creates the ability for something to be a cash for comment. It creates uh, really commercial interest that property investors look at. And of course often make their decisions when it comes to their financial future. This sort of brings us back to the discussion I truly want to have, that the real estate market is made up of some drivers, momentum trends and pie economics, population, infrastructure, and of course, jobs or employment. Uh, Trends, supply and demand, demographics, and yields or rents come and go. And so from a defensive point of view, we want to manage risk. To manage risk as a property investor, to avoid volatility, we want one, quality fundamentals. Two, we want a lack of volatility and three, we obviously want the right piece of property that represents value at the point in the cycle. And of course, four, we want the, the, what I always refer to, which is good land characteristics, great building characteristics, and a great location characteristic, whether it's an apartment, villa, townhouse, or house. That's what we want from an investment. If we nail them, we're going to have a very good, safe, low volatile and quality based investment journey as we hold real estate. So again, if I dig into my Forex growth plan, uh, really, if you go to, if you've ever seen the Forex growth plan, you would go to the market section and inside the market section is really broken into two sections, pie and momentum. So the momentum drivers, supply and demand, demographics, and rent. 
Now, again, when we look at what I think the defense of all real estate is in Australia, it is population, infrastructure, and employment or economics. And the reason being is we want to wake up 30 years from now knowing where we have invested is still popular, there's still jobs, and there's still governments spending on infrastructure improving those areas. We don't want to be off the beaten track hanging out at Lake Weirdo just because the year we went into our acquisition phase to buy a property, Lake Weirdo was booming. Because what happens inside of real estate is you will often get trends. And quite often, probably the biggest fad, for example, during COVID was the trend, a demographic trend to go to Humpty Doo. So a lot of older people, for example, were going, you know what, I can cash in on my beautiful Sydney and Melbourne house. I can go down the South Coast buy in a small little sleepy village and uh, I'll pay a pretty penny to achieve that. However, that is a trend that won't last forever. And of course, that small little sleepy fishing village has no jobs, has no real population growth and certainly has no infrastructure. Where property investors tend to go wrong is they see a headline, they see agnotology, they see next hotspot is going to be two hours south of Sydney where all of a sudden, uh, you know, everyone's moving to and jump on the bandwagon. And we call this in bias the bandwagon effect. Obviously, you do not want to be a bandwagon investor. Otherwise, you're just buying the bandwagon. Now, think about how an economy grows. So we grow an economy three different ways. We can increase its population. We can improve its productivity. Or we can innovate. So when the Australian government posts uh, information on the improvement of GDP, they are showing uh, the population has grown, the country's innovated, or we've produced more. We've sold more of what we have, more iron ore, more coal. We've produced more uh, agriculture, the production. And so if you want a defense strategy with real estate, I think it's very important to stick to really the top four 10 to 15 major places in Australia. If you Google the 10, 15 biggest places in Australia, biggest cities, if you like, they're obviously going to be a big part of the GDP output of Australia. They will be places that attract population, innovation and productivity. And so they could be places like Ballarat, which is, uh, you know, a growing place. They could be places like Newcastle or Geelong, but they aren't places like like Weirdo or they aren't little towns where there's 25,000 people. They're not. Those areas are fads and those fads go to sleep because not every year do rents climb. Not every year does a demographic shift push 
the property market in those areas. Not every year is the supply of real estate so short that demand equals uh, a betterment of price growth against supply. And of course, if you've ever been to a small town, usually they've got lots of land around them and it's quite simple to actually go from an undersupplied place to an oversupplied place through one housing land subdivision. It's really as simple as that. So a trend can moment the market. It can also uh, make the market uh, also not moment. And so you get this effect in property selection, if you like, whereby a lot of property investors follow momentum. And again, momentum is just a trend. A trend is just a fad. And of course, supply and demand can also be uh, out of favour, if you like, and demographics and uh, also yields in big cities. They can be in favour and out of favour. And little cities, big favour and out of favour. The only difference is for those top 10, 15 major areas in Australia, they have a defensive strategy. The defence is pi, population, infrastructure and employment or economics. Now, if you think about growing GDP, uh, obviously you can grow your GDP by increasing your population. Again, the better areas have the population. You can grow your economy by innovating. Infrastructure is just innovation. The purpose of infrastructure is to make something happen faster, smoother, simpler, to increase, obviously, the end result, which is productivity. And of course, productivity is employment. The more jobs you've got, the more productive your economy is. Suburbs and towns are just micro-economies. And of course, if your micro-economy has more money coming into it, the odds of that area doing well over a period of time is very, very good. Trends are what we just talked about. Supply and demand, demographics and yields. These trends come and go. And again, they can affect all marketplaces. You can have a very low yield in a marketplace followed by a very high yield. You can have a very high yield followed by a very low yield. It will constantly change. And again, if you are buying a property because you ring up and you go, well, that yield looks really good, you're buying a trend. You're not buying something that is a defensive uh, thing. It is an offensive thing. The yield's so good, I want to buy it, I'm going to get into it. Offense. However, without defense, and if you just follow offense and with a market without defense, then you could run into some tail problems with that strategy. And so for, for a lot of investors, particularly during COVID, they didn't buy in the top 15 places in Australia. And they went off the beaten track. And of course, it was all fun and games in a low interest rate environment when there was a big demographic shift into these uh, smaller communities. 
because you had the arbitrage of money coming out of big cities going into little places where the aggregate size of those little places was very, very small, creating a, uh, an illusion of high capital growth because of a small amount of aggregate property selling for much higher than what the median level was. Again, it is data, but it may be not the complete picture. Now people own real estate in small satellite communities and are starting to realize that during the boom, perhaps they shouldn't have followed just the trend. They should have actually thought through their defense strategy, which of course is population, infrastructure and employment. Where are the jobs? Where are the people? And where is the infrastructure? Momentum is a trend. And again, some trends are a Ponzi scheme because you get fed agnotology, misinformation. You are clickbaited to a certain area because that's what the commercial reality of Facebook's going to do because someone's paying Facebook. You then think that is going to be the next hotspot you look at some of the trends and you'll notice maybe a shortage of supply, a high level of demand, and you'll put two and two together and go, this is the investment for me. And of course, particularly if it lacks pie, that is a real risk. A risk of inflated pricing versus what true locals pay. And of course, uh, a Ponzi concept is just that. The only fundamental to a marketplace is someone else willing to pay more than what you did. And of course, inside the real estate economy, that's not a good place to be. Trust me, I've owned real estate in towns with less than 10,000 people in it. And of course, if they're not the best properties in town, no one really wants them and there is no real resale marketplace and of course, the Ponzi scheme can collapse all around you because no one at the next point of the cycle wants to play an inf more inflated price for the asset than you did. Why is this the issue? There's not people going there. There's not infrastructure being improved in those small little places. And of course, uh, they are lacking employment opportunities for people to want to go there so there's certainly a lot of risk in just following fads and following trends in the real estate marketplace risk versus reward remember as a property investor we want both uh, pie economics and momentum economics if we can get it we're going to do really really well but I would prefer to buy pie economics in a marketplace which isn't momenting than find a marketplace which is momenting without pie economics because I want to manage my risk, defense, quality fundamentals, uh, lack of volatility and good value. It's really how it works. Now, once again, big cities can have momentum trends in their favor, and right now they do. If 
you go look on the news, you will see the biggest momentum trend right now is rising rents in major places. Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney, uh, massive momentum trend. You've got massive low supply in places like Melbourne right now. It's fallen off a cliff. There is no supply for a 5 million person city with hundreds of thousands of people returning to that city. Uh, these are great signals. These are trends. These are momenting the market. These are pushing price growth in rental returns right now and no doubt will push prices up in the short to medium future of a city like Melbourne. But again, it's just a trend. It will stop. What is left when that stops is a city with a population which is growing, billions of dollars being spent on infrastructure and jobs, not only for today, but also for the future, jobs like biomedical. So again, you've got uh, a good example there of a big city now on the offense with low supply, rising rents, and with its defense, population, infrastructure, and employment. So will that always be the case? Well, yes, for population, infrastructure, and employment. No, for momentum. It's just a trend. It's a short-term metric. It's obviously helpful when it comes, but it's not always going to be in the investor's favor. And again, like the point of today's conversation is to know the difference between the two, because if you don't really recognize that a market has pie and then has trends, then you're doing it the wrong way around. If you're going, well, there's some really good signals here that there's low supply and rents are going through the roof and you ignore the fundamental, which is population, infrastructure and employment, you're going to run into a problem at some point. I don't know when that point's coming, but it could get absolutely nasty because there will be a lack of people wanting to buy in that next area and it can often become a place which is just broken. And, you know, the one that springs to mind constantly, which is broken, is Broken Hill. It is constantly being an attraction magnet for a trend, which is rent. Rent versus purchase price. The houses are cheap there. The rents are healthy. But really, no one is waking up in uh, a major place where 90% of Australians live today on the east coast of Australia going, got to get me to Broken Hill. I've got to do it. I'm going to work bloody hard to go live in Broken Hill. They're not. It's never going to be that way. You're lucky if the train stops for more than an hour before it actually even wants to leave. So trends, they are good. They are bad. You'll get fed agnotology. You'll get fed epistemology about trends what real estate basically comes back to at a macro level is pie economics, population, infrastructure, and economics. I've probably said that way too many times. You're probably counting how many times has this dude said pie? No more pie. 
Look, real estate at the end of the day is driven by local factors. Local factors determine the rate of growth, uh, local factors from land characteristics, location characteristics and building characteristics. You pin them against obviously a good place to invest at a macro level where there's lots of population, infrastructure and employment. And then you go looking for trends, trends being supply and demand, yields, and demographics, because uh, that's the nature of investing. Invest where there's low volatility, where there's quality fundamentals, and ultimately where you can find value. The mega projects in Australia today, according to Infrastructure Australia, are not in Broken Hill. You've got West Connects in Sydney, $16 billion. You've got Sydney Metro, $12 billion. Mel- Melbourne Metro, $11 billion. Westgate Tunnel in Melbourne, $10 billion. Melbourne Airport Rail Link, $10 billion. Melbourne to Brisbane Inland Rail, taking it from the port of Melbourne to the port of Brisbane, $9 billion. Bruce Highway Upgrade, $8 billion. Cross River Rail in Brisbane, $5 billion. Western Sydney Airport, $4 billion. Metronet in Perth, $3 billion. Ring Road Upgrades in Melbourne, $2 billion. These are the this is this is the infrastructure to increase and innovate and create more productivity and more money for people. It's happening in our bigger cities where there's pie. And so today is all about defense before offense, not the other way around. And for a lot of people, I know they've been caught out with this because they're contacting me with regret theory about what they have bought, asking me my opinion of what they have acquired in Lake Weedo. And of course, um, they have made capital growth, but now they are starting to question, well, what does it do now, this piece of real estate? What happens? It's in a sleepy little village, a little fishing village. What next for me? And again, I was saying this would happen. Fads come and go. And I know a lot of other commentators that feel the same about this and experts in real estate. Fads always come and go in real estate. There's a lot of agnotology, a lot of clickbait, a lot of hotspots. And really, when you think of it, if there's so many hotspots out there um, and, you know, they're so successful... Why haven't they been discovered before now? Because the truth of real estate is the best areas, best locations, best neighborhoods, um, areas with the best schools, areas with the best shops, areas with the best brands, they exist. And so for us, if we can afford to get in those locations and get a great property, investment grade property, we're going to make a lot of money. Sometimes we have to go, okay, well, what's the next suburb? I can't afford that one. And we use the next suburb effect. Sometimes we're three suburbs from that action, but we're not 500 kilometers from that action in the middle of nowhere. That's just not going to work out as a property investment strategy over the horizon of a lifetime. You're just going to buy a trend, a fad, and it's going to go out of fashion. Stay in fashion. Hi Economics, that's today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I will see you next time.
Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.